The following presentation of the Eric McKenna Project is sponsored by no one. Hello, you're listening to the Eric McKenna Project. You're alive. We're alive. We're alive. We're well. We're safe. We're safe. Good. <laughs> we're vaccinated. We're, we're boosted. All, we're all fully vaccinated. We're boosted. We're ready to go. We're bald. We are bald. Yeah. <laughs> Do I wear a hat? Don't I wear a hat? This is two bald guys. But we have hair. This is actually for warmth. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. That's the worst thing about actually when I went bald. I realized how cold I was all the time. I didn't realize that hair was an insulator. I know. <laughs> I know. But you have, you have hair and makeup for this? <laughs> yeah, next door. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. What's up, my friend? How's it going? Oh, man. Thank you for doing this. This is. Uh, I know it's, your schedule's nuts. And Why do you think that? Well, I know your schedule's crazy. I know <laughs> your schedule. I remember, I'm also your client, too. And it's, you know, i got to carve my carve my way into that schedule somehow. But you are very nice about that. Always. I appreciate you doing this very much. We're here. You are here. I had to pinch myself still that um, I was just exchanging texts with our mutual friend Michael Cobalt too. Oh, I, wow. Ironically, I hear I hear from him out of the blue. I haven't Where heard is from he? him in India still. I think. I think. Wow. I don't think he's been back for a while. No, yeah. goes, no this is going to be no, great. no, no. I woke up this morning. I had lots of ideas. We don't have to talk the about stream, the stream of consciousness. But I also realized that um, we've been talking behind masks this whole time. And you can say things behind masks. You know, we're polite and we say all nice things and we think nice things. We try and be positive. But when you go behind the mask, you can be mean. Huh. I've noticed these kids. Let's talk about these that. These kids have gotten very mean behind their masks. And if I put on my mask, <laughs> am I saying I love you or fuck you? Yeah, that's a question. <laughs> you don't know. And I've gotten really mean behind my mask. I don't like that. I go that's in crowds and it's like... I am like, why am I in this crowd now? That is very interesting. <laughs> huh. Okay, so Eric, do you know what else? What else? My kids got an Oculus. Oh, I'd love to talk about that. We got an I selfishly want one myself. <laughs> okay, so we bought it for Asher, he's eleven for Are you ready to go? For Christmas. Are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. Put these okay. on. Let's go. Okay, okay. Let's go. Sorry. No, no, no. Whoa. Yeah, you can hear this a little better. Much better. I know. I just, last time you didn't want to wear them, I'm like, listen, when you put them on, you'll get it. Yeah. <laughs> I go inside of myself. So my Oculus. Son, my son, Asher, wanted an Oculus for Christmas, so we bought it. But Steffi and I were going like, do we really want to give Asher an Oculus? And we're going I like, can see that. Like, I can see that. He has so much screen time. It's not supposed to be good for little kids. I called my friend at Facebook, and I said... What's the deal? And they say, no, it's not great for little kids, but he's not that little. And, no. And what the, AJ talking about? 11. Okay. And the other thing is he can, um, with, a, with an Oculus, 
you can't wear it that long. Right. Like, it's not like other things. You can look at your phone for 10 hours. You can't look through an Oculus that long. So we didn't give it to him for Christmas. We just like, we aren't giving him this. We aren't doing this. And then we go back to school and school doesn't start and it's virtual. We're right. feeling bad. Right. And it's, <laughs> and it's snowing in Pittsburgh for the first time. Okay. And, okay. Uh, okay. Okay. And I break out the Oculus and he's very happy. Oh, I'm sure. But, it was a surprise out of the blue. Yes, out of the blue. Yes, he was. He was very happy. So he got a double double holiday, basically. Kind of, but he, it was a little, <laughs> a, a little skimpy on the Christmas. But but the Oculus, I you know, it. I get it. Was was really nice. So we I have to get used to these lights. I'm not. Used I know. To the yeah, you okay with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I tried to reduce the ambient light behind to make it look more professional. But you know, I've spent my whole life <laughs> I know, I, behind the camera to avoid now being you're in on the, light. the other side, buddy. I know it's it's a very very painful. So I don't play video games at all. I hate playing video games. They have all these video game stuff going. Our generation missed that though. Like kind of, we just kind of missed some, it. Some guys like it. Really? Yeah, but I don't. Yeah, not my thing either. Yeah. So anyhow, the Oculus kind of interests me because there's stuff that I like that I can look at on the Oculus. It's not. It's not just all total weird games. It's not. So okay. I put the thing on after he plays with it for a while. I say, let me try this. And the first thing you do when you put on an Oculus is you. Define the space, your comfort space. Okay. And you do it mostly for safety because you don't want to bump into furniture, but you're you're basically creating this space. And when you go out of your space, it puts up this virtual fence and says, you can't go any further, or you can, but you will trip on this. And it shows you the chair. Okay. That's cool. I think that that idea is really interesting because I think that we go out in life and we and we're always creating this comfort zone. We're in our comfort zone, and if we start to get out of it, it's like, oh, we're going to trip on this chair. Okay. And, okay. And I think that we do that a lot. I don't like being in my comfort zone. I'm not in my comfort zone right now no, at no all. Doubt. No doubt. No <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's... But would you say to me, last time we were together, that's where all the magic happens when you're outside of it, right? Totally. I mean, Totally. So the first thing I do when I put on the Oculus is I put on Patty Smith. And you can see her YouTube is on the Oculus in VR. And it's this gigantic screen. And I put on Gloria. Okay. And the sound goes off of your bones. It doesn't go in your Bone ears. Conduction. It's amazing. And Patty Smith is like gigantic and she spits when she sings. She spits. Yeah. And she spits right at me. It was the era. <laughs> it was awesome. So I'm driving here and I'm coming to Coriopolis, which has to be the <laughs> oldest town in the world shh. nothing has changed we don't want the secret to get out this man. is all soundproof coming here so i'm driving to coriopolis i can't even really spell it right i have to keep looking it's right. It's right. You, you don't spell it the way that it sounds no uh, so, y, it sounds like there's a y in there and there's not so i'm driving here and there are all these banners that start appearing of these young soldiers and they're up on the thing. Every post, every hundred feet has another young soldier. Okay. And this is a oh, guy yeah, yeah. that here. this is a guy that went to the army and never came right, back. Right. Patty Smith is singing very loudly on my car stereo, my generation. And the line she's singing as I'm driving up past all those signs is what? Mm. Well, oh, Hope man. I die right, before right, I get, get old. old. <laughs> and I'm passing all these young soldiers. Of course, of course. And it's course. so it's so crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And Serendipity. Serendipity. That's your word, man. And I had not heard that word for a long time. 
in a period of my life growing up, that was used a lot around my household and my grandparents. That was a very common word in the McKenna family until I left the I left home. Never heard it again until George enters. <laughs> and I read that that one day in one of your writings. I'm like, I have not heard that in so long. But you're in, in the mother, context you were using was perfect. My mother used that word a lot. She loved yeah. that word. She loved that idea that things would happen. Right. And I was listening to um, this interview with Sidney Portier. Mm-hmm. the other day mm-hmm. and you hear about this little island off of Nassau that he grew up in no running water no electricity yeah. no paved roads and his parents grew tomatoes and they would take the tomatoes by sailboat to Miami and sell them his mother's pregnant on the boat and his dad is convinced that this child will not live so convinced that he goes to the undertaker and gets a small coffin to put this baby in when wow. it comes out, however it comes out. The mother goes to a soothsayer and the soothsayer says, this child will not only live, this child will walk with kings, this child will be famous and rich, and this child will be amazing. That proved out to be true. And and Sidney Poitier is telling this story and he says, I believe in logic and I believe in science, but how can I explain that everything that that soothsayer said to my mother came true? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wild. It is wild. What a talent, huh? Amazing. Yeah. That, that, that was a loss. That, that one hit. Yeah. That one hit home. Yeah. I'd imagine for you, definitely hit home. So um, I have this studio in Garfield. Yes. And as a big... I've been there. Yes. <laughs> Eric is bathed in that light. I and, have bathed in that light. <laughs> and there's a big window facing south. And so when the sun hits it, which is not every day in Pittsburgh, but more often than we imagine, like today was a beautiful sunrise yes. and the sun came out. Yes, and it turned gray. <laughs> you can see the... If, if the window is clean or dirty. So when I rented this studio, this guy starts coming around do you want me to clean your windows? And I said, yes. And he cleans my windows and he's a nice guy. And mm-hmm. um, then he says, do you want me to clean your studio? You know, I can I, I can help you clean your studio. And I said, that would be great. And once he comes in the door, we become friends. Right. I photograph him. His name's Gary. <laughs> of course, of course. He, he um, I expect nothing less. <laughs> I, I photograph him every time that he comes in. I, I start playing music for him because that's what I do to my uh-huh. my guests in, in the studio. Yes, indeed. And uh, and I started playing one day. I said, Gary, do you know the song? He's about our age. Okay. Um, I said, do you know the song Lift Every Voice and Sing? And he says, no. I said, well, the lyrics were written in oh, 1900, and then the music was written five years later, and it became what was called then the Negro National Anthem. Right, right. And right. Beyonce did it at Coachella. Right, it's an right. amazing song. But the way I first learned that song was this guy named Shuby Taylor doing a scat version of it. Oh, really? So he's going, boo, 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 boo. And I play this for Gary. Okay. And he starts scat singing in the most beautiful voice you've ever heard. Out of the blue. Out of the blue. And so I do this video of him scat singing to Shuby Taylor this song. Wow. And I just, from then on, I would play another song and he would sing along each time that he came to to um, clean the windows and clean the studio. And I would take pictures and it was fun. But for a long time, okay. you know, during COVID, it was all behind a mask. Mm-hmm. 
And Gary finally came in one day and he was grinning behind his mask. You could feel it. You could feel it. And he goes, George, I got to show you something. He pulls down his mask and he has a full set of teeth. He had never had teeth before that. And he had used the money that he had gotten from the government for COVID for new teeth. God bless him. Especially sounds like an amazing guy. Amazing guy. Yeah. (laughs) Amazing guy. When he started singing, you had to drop what you were doing and just been like, where'd this come from? (laughs) But the most beautiful voice, the most beautiful voice. And it's funny how you work your way into people's lives. Mm -hmm. No doubt. You go in all kinds of doors, but there's always a door. Some kid has fences all around them but there's one loose board and it's like that's where you can go in and find them see I, when you say that all i think about really is the way you probably approach photography the, the little we've we've known together in these couple of years and we talked about photography because we really don't talk about photography very often which is crazy my wife said to me today she goes do you guys ever get tired of talking photography? I said, listen, I know it would be logical that being the amateur photographer I am, I would just want to pick his brain in regards to all this gear stuff. We don't talk about any of that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but right. I mean, the way you're wired and the way you talked about how you how you try to envision a sitting, or envision a, a, a contract, you always seem to find the unorthodox way in. And that's where it, all the creativity comes from. Am I right or wrong? Am I, am I saying that wrong? Because it seems this like this is to what me, happens. This it's is what happens. It's unorthodox, though. You, you're, there's nothing standard about the way you do do your work. But Eric, <laughs> we have lived this whole life together, or not apart, <laughs> not together, apart. Right. We right. have lived our whole life. Right. You have you've had your whole experience yeah. through everything that's happened, yeah. through being big and small yeah. and well and a little sick. And yep. I'm so happy you're better. Thank you. But. You've come to this moment today mm-hmm. in Coriopolis in this soundproof room with all this cra- craziness around us. <laughs> and I've done the same thing too. I've had this whole life. I grew up in Squirrel Hill and I had, you know, went to Alderdice right. and I went to Rhode Island School of Design and went to New York and had this great big career and all this fun stuff. Uh-huh. And here I am. Like, this is this moment. Now, when I walk out that door, we're going to continue our lives till we. Meet again. See, yes, <laughs> till we meet again. But it's kind of like this continuum and then this pause that we're together. Okay. That's what I do when I photograph. And I'm very clear about it. It's like we've, we, we've had these whole lives and now we have this moment together. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to have this whole life past that. And what we do here is important because it is going to influence it's totally influenced by what came before it and it's going to influence what's coming and it's this is now but now is going to be gone right. this afternoon we're going to go what happened to now i had now with george and now now's gone and, and i'm on to another now right it's all it's all crazy and the other thing that i've been thinking about a lot is i never understood what connected all my photographs okay. i always felt like i was the conduit between my subject and the viewer that mm-hmm. i wasn't even that important all I was was kind of facilitating this experience that the viewer could have with the cast of Friends, that the viewer could have with Steve Jobs and Bill Gates or Andy Warhol or whoever I photographed, or mm-hmm. the kids playing football up in Garfield. You know, you would never have an experience with them except through my photographs. But I never felt like I was so important in that process. I felt like I was kind of a facilitator. In the same way that you might sit here and say, you know, I'm talking to all these people, but I really want to connect George to my audience. Uh, It's not so much about my piece of it. It's about connecting George to my audience. That's how I felt. 
I hope that's in the past terms. That's how you felt. You don't feel that way anymore, well, right? Well, this is, this is what I that's came to believe. So... I, I've been working on this okay. without a therapist. You're, you're, you're my therapist. <laughs> my wife is maybe my therapist. My kids are my therapist. Wait till you hear what my wife had to say. She'll be your next therapist. <laughs> she saw your work. Ah. Oh. I'll share with you now. So I sat with George, and uh, he was kind enough to do a, um, some photographic work for my my work, my career. When she got she, we blew it up on our big twenty seven inch monitor, and she sat there, and she's looking very carefully, and she's she's standing back, and we're trying to pick the right ones, you know. And she said to me, she goes, "I don't know what it is." She goes, "But there's two things." She goes, first, like that is." like you that's like you're sitting there with me that is the real you i'm like hmm, that's okay i'll pass that along she goes she goes i can talk about um the, the way the, he photoshopped a few years blemishes <laughs> out and all that stuff but i mean that's really you and i said you know what no matter what you're seeing as the as the viewer it still pales in comparison to the experience i had because the experience of being there and being photographed and finding my way to that point where he was able to capture me with them without me really even knowing it happened it was over before it started <laughs> it really was and she just said there's you've never had photos done ever she goes i don't know if anyone ever had photos done where it just feels like the person the person's essence is sitting in the room with me wow and i was just like wow i gotta share that with george i love that's, that yeah because and she goes that is that goes beyond the technical aspects of photography right anybody can do that she goes look to me and she goes you could do that i'm like oh great <laughs> she says it's it's more i said yeah and if you understood if you would have been there that day then you would have seen exactly what i'm talking about it was the experience of being in a George Lang photograph, not the subject or the photographer, being in the photo. I was in the photo. It was over. I was on my way home, and I was so like, "Wow, did that really happen?" <laughs> and it was. And then, then like the the photos have a three D quality to them, but that's more a technical thing that that you would expect from uh, someone of your talent. It was the photos give you a feeling like the person is actually there, at least with my set. And and I had to pass that along to you when she oh, said you. I had to. Thank you. Because and you. I'm probably not even articulating it. Though. You would have seen her face. You would have got it. <laughs> ah, there's a guy that I photographed this fall, and he wrote to me all excited. He said, "Wow, my my wife loves me in a whole new way after looking at these pictures." And I thought that. that I hope that happened. <laughs> then I've done my job. Then I've done my job. It's, um, it's just yeah. It's it's fantastic, man. It's it's the wildest thing. It's the wildest thing but this is my latest idea on all these pictures okay and, and what i do when i first and and this might not even be true but this is you know i have to have my own way of processing it i love hearing stories like that and that means a lot okay but um the way i'm looking at it now is i, I started with this thread in when i was seven years old mm -hmm. and the thread was the camera it was my my tool now when you put a blanket over you you weren't thinking about the thread that wove it but you're feeling the warmth so but so the tool that you use to weave that blanket is not the point the fact that i take pictures or that i use a camera is not what's so important what is important is what i'm weaving and every person i photographed i have woven into this thing that is my body of work 
that is these pictures that go out in the world. Okay. So I took it and I wove it through the kids, my friends at Alderdice. And then I went to Providence and I wove it through Francesca, my friend, and my assignments at RISD. And then I went to New York and I wove it through watching Annie Leibovitz work firsthand. And all through my career, I would meet these people and I was like, you know, what our experience is going to be the process of taking this thread that I've been carrying since I was seven and weaving it through this experience that we're going to have. And it keeps going. You walk into my studio, the same thread that wove through all those pictures on oh, my you can, wall. You can feel it. And all the work that I've done, I get to take that and keep weaving it. And even today, even without a camera, although I might take one out, <laughs> um, because this is just too much. Um, it's, a much it's a bit much. <laughs> um, I'm weaving it through this experience. But the process of weaving it is not a, it's a lonely experience, I'd say, doing what I do, because you are, um, it's In kind of like, way? it's like performance art, okay, a little bit, because, and, and performance art, I don't mean to say that you're someone else on a stage than you really are, mm -hmm. but you have this moment where you, um, I'm hearing something. Oh, we have uh, air conditioning pops on once in a while. Got it. Um, uh, you start. I, I lost. No, my you said you 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 you're like I popped into your studio. Right, right, right. right. Oh, 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 no, no. When you're doing performance art, yeah, oh. like when you're on stage, you are in some ways the truest version of yourself. Okay. Or or, or, or a very true version of yourself. Yes. But. You're exposed. But, but everything has to happen in a very short amount of time. When I'm with my kids and I come home from work, we have the whole evening. Right. I, I might like dinner might be good or might not be good. You know, <laughs> like what I, I what we choose to read might be awesome or it might be the wrong book. But like I have the time to make mistakes in in the when I photograph, I still have to allow myself the space to make mistakes. Got it. But it's a it's a much heightened version of the experience much more mm -hmm. heightened version of the experience no doubt does that make sense yeah it does so it does. um so you have these experiences that are extremely heightened versions and very rich versions of who you are and what you do and you're also knowing that in that moment in this moment we are trying to communicate with the people who are yeah. tuning in, yeah. and we're very happy wherever you are. Are you there? <laughs> You're everywhere. Wait, are they on the line? <laughs> They're everywhere. Oh my gosh! <laughs> are you over there? Um, we are. We are wanting to say, hey, we are trying to understand something in a heightened way, right? And and in a way that is really super important to us. No question. It, it's heightened, and it's also uh, physically shorter, you know, and, and that's what, that, that increases how the importance Not of it. Not on your podcast. I could do six <laughs> shootings. You, you were going like two hours, three hours. Well, <laughs> when, we, when we first sat down the very first time, and I've gone back and listened to those shows and watched them again, you said something to the effect that this is not typical of how we communicate now with getting people in a room and I think I just kind of built on that idea when I look back on it and I've got opinions from others I think George I'm just slowing things down a bit for an hour or two just trying to get people to look each other in the eye 
really get back to what it was maybe pre-internet life where we all kind of had to had to communicate to move through life we just don't do a lot of that anymore you know and I well know. i'd say definitely pre-internet and pre-covid and pre- oh definitely pre-covid like definitely. i'm looking at this generation of kids who yeah. have spent coming on two years never seeing their te- their teacher's face except on a computer that's a good point never seeing their friend's face safely yeah. really indefinitely yeah. un- uh, at school they're masked from the moment i drop them off to the moment i pick them up at school and mm. um mm-hmm. it's really there's a lot that you can hide and i'm finding that people are being kids especially are being super mean to each other yeah, when they're in person with the masks on no, in general, because they can't read each other's faces. Oh. Now, so there's part of oh. the pre-internet, pre-screen thing that you're right. Okay. Like, they aren't okay. trained to read each other's faces live because right. either they're masked right. or they're looking at their screen and never looking up. Okay. And then you have um, okay. this whole mask thing, and kids are being really mean. Now, people tell me, George, kids have always been mean to each other. That's the way kids are. But this is... This is a whole other level. And mean to their teachers. And then the teachers mm-hmm. might take them to the office and say, this kid's doing things that, they're, you know, right. this kid's calling the teachers a bitch every day. Right, right, And right, right, this right. has to stop. And they'll keep them in the office a couple hours and send them back. And the kids come back and they don't have to apologize. And the teacher goes crying into the office and says, what are you doing? Like, these kids are th- threatening us not only with their language, but physically. Mm-hmm. And you're just sending them back. Mm-hmm. And this head of the schools, first of all, what they don't say is, listen, <laughs> on our, our whole list of problems trying to keep this school going from keeping the heat on to keeping people healthy to right. all the other things, right. this is not the highest priority. Right. But they also say, what do you want us to do? Yeah. Tell me what to do. Do I, do I expel this person? Do I send them home? That doesn't solve the problem. Well, let me see what your Sorry. thoughts are. No, no, no. I, th- I, I think it's great. You are, you have children. Uh, Asher is how old now? 11 and Jackson's 14. Okay. Okay. 11 and, and 14. And before Asher went to uh, school today, he yelled out from the lawn. He says, make sure that you mention me <laughs> on the air with Eric. <laughs> you got it, Asher. <laughs> and Jackson, too. <laughs> we don't play favorites here. That's Love right. you both. That's right. Um so you've gone through the pandemic with children of, of the perfect age to have this discussion. I don't know of anybody that has children that age right now uh, going, that went through the pandemic, so I haven't had this conversation. Are we – what is your preference? Are you better with the, sending them with the mask and doing physical learning with the mask, or do you prefer the virtual – without having to put the masks on and, and maneuver all that? What, what do you prefer as a parent? Based upon what you've seen, it's not black and white. Having the kids home was. Let me right or wrong. What do yeah, you prefer? No, but but same. It's not like there are there are good things about both. Having okay. the kids home was really oh, no quite an amazing experience. Sure. Because first of all, when you drop them at school, you have no clue what goes on there. They're gone. Pick it's them scary, up. Yeah. What happened at school? <laughs> nothing. Nothing. What to do in literacy? Nothing. What to do in math? Nothing. Right, you know. Right, right. You don't know what goes on. Right. When they're there. First of all, my wife's a para, so she's teaching math, fifth grade math, too, in the other side of the bedroom. Got it. So Got I'm it. hearing that start up, and then I'm hearing my kids' classes, and you have insight into 
what's going on in a whole different way. Mm. I mean, first of all, my kids wake up and they love school. They wake up early. They are determined to never, ever be late. They like, you know, they think a lot about what they wear. They are into having a good breakfast and they go to school pretty psyched to be at school, whether it is virtual or going to a physical school. Really? Yes. Same enthusiasm regardless, huh? Yes. They, uh-huh. That says a lot. They need that. We need that. Oh, no doubt. We need this connection. Mm-hmm. I'm going to flip here. We can get back to this, but something's happened to my career the last three months that is kind of wild, which is I'm getting hired more as a team builder than as a photographer. Okay. Help so, me unpack that. So a corporation <laughs> hires me and I create an experience where it involves photography, but it's also involving giving a talk. Okay. And during the talk- Finally, he's doing it. I know, I decided- (laughs) Finally! That's what friends have been saying, but I don't show pictures. I talk about the pictures, Mm -hmm. I describe things that have happened, I I certainly tell stories, um, but I don't show the pictures because I realized that it was a distraction. Interesting. And so I talk about um, I talk about what what we're doing about connecting okay. from from Gary, the window washer, right. to um, to connecting in a weird way with those young soldiers on the street in Coriopolis mm-hmm. here. You know, mm-hmm. like that's that's my obsession is connecting to us, connecting which we're doing yeah. in in an organic way. To, to the yoga teacher that I go to that says, give yourself a big old hug. And he's like this incredible rapper that teaches this yoga class. And it's just Wait, like- a rapping yo- yogiist? What do they yeah, call him? Yes, yogi. Yogi, yogi, John <laughs> Quest, who is amazing. But the classes are, he just, for me, it's where I need to be right and on. do it with, uh, with my body. But several times during that class, give yourself a big old hug. And it's like, we need to do that. No doubt. And we also are no craving doubt. connections. So no these doubt. companies are hiring me to create this experience where we can all connect with each other. That's it's fascinating. It's fascinating because I do it. It's all improv. I'm not surprised by that. So, for I'm instance, I was that. invited to a, uh, a retreat of the top corporate um, communication directors in the country. Okay. Mostly women, about... 25 people in Wisconsin, rural Wisconsin. Okay. Super nice place, beautiful time of fall. I go there and I give this talk about, I'm making it up the same way that I walked in here and it's like, oh, oh that's very cool. These things have happened in, the, in my head in the last five minutes. That's very cool. I do that. And then I did a little photo workshop. Like, hey, we're all taking pictures here. Here's some, here's some tips. Here's okay. here some George tips. Okay. <laughs> Which was fun. But then I said, let's take some pictures. But I hadn't brought anything with me, like no lights or anything. So I grabbed a black tablecloth and I put it up against. That's when you're your best. <laughs> I, 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 put, I, I, I put it up against the side of this building. And, they, and it had that um, frosted plexiglass. Roof okay. over the patio, okay. which was the most beautiful diffused light. Okay. And I'm photographing these people who are all so excited to be photographed by 
me. Of course. Which is thrilling. Who wouldn't be? Which is thrilling. <laughs> Come on. Part of you it. You don't get that still. Part you of still it don't is, get that. No, but, but, I'm, <laughs> but I'm starting to because they were more interested in the pictures of me photographing them than in the pictures I was taking. <laughs> of course. And luckily, of course. I had on my red Nike. Oh, so, nice. So that was, nice. That was nice. Good. That was good. Nice. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but the pictures were also like so beautiful. And in the middle, of this, I thought, and these are people that all work for different companies, okay. big companies. Okay. Um, and in the middle of it, I said, okay, you stand in the front and everyone else really tight behind them. And then take turns throwing the person in the front, pushing them out of the picture, and then you stand there. And then push them out and, and it started this thing going. And everyone is laughing and having the best time. There's a little physicality, uh-huh. but it's just like this. Yes. And, and. So they're it, like pushing each other out of the way. And it's beautiful. And okay. the pictures, people are laughing and pushing <laughs> and they're physical. And every part of it is beautiful. So when I got hired as a team builder, I said, what do I know about team building? And then I go and have this experience, which is what I do on every shoot anyhow. Exactly. And it connects. Well, that, exactly. It's a, it's a natural fit to me. I mean, the speaking part of it was apparent the first time we met. I mean, that. that well, thank it, it, you. But that that was like that was a huge missed op- opportunity for you, but also I think um, a missed experience for people who don't get a chance to talk with you. But the way to incorporate it all, you know, the me- the mechanics of the actual picture is your experience and years doing it and your unique way of doing it, but. It's everything else, and that's what that's what needs to be conveyed. You know, it's the experience of a George Lang photograph. It's not the physical so, picture. That's what you get to utilize for your commercial, for your family wall, whatever it is. It's the experience, and you have to go through it to really get it. I get it. So the, the I get it. The photograph is the artifact of the experience. The artifact of the experience. I like that. That yeah. should that's that's good branding there. In some capacity. Some capacity. That's good. But but that's kind of what it is. It's not about the photograph. It's about the experience. So right now, in the fall, we felt like we were coming out of COVID and we've dipped back in. And hopefully this Mm -hmm. is... Hopefully this is the end. This is short-lived. I'm hoping. Yeah. Um, But in that period in the fall when I was doing this work, I just felt like, whoa, people are not only really craving this experience they they need it well timing is amazing because we're coming out of covid now i think we're all going to be looking to reconnect or finding our way of connection there's one company facilitator of that there's one company that i started working with and um they started covid with 1500 employees and they now have 8,000. wow and the owner of the company i'm doing this big event for them in scottsdale they always put me up at the Four Seasons. Beautiful place. <laughs> <laughs> the only time I get to stay at the Four Seasons is when That's I'm beautiful. put up at the Four Seasons. But anyhow, that was that was nice. But we were working the whole time. I like looked around sometimes in the morning before the sun came up. I but, imagine. Um, the Beach Boys were setting up at the event, like in the same room that I was playing in. When I finished, we had to That's get out nuts. quick, and the Beach Boys started playing. It was, that is nuts. It was really weird. Um, but but anyhow, the owner of the company comes up behind me when I'm shooting and he says, George, because I had done an event in San Francisco for them and then in Scottsdale. And he goes, George, you've now done 220 people that work for this company. 
you only have another seven thousand eight hundred, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going like gladly if you put me up at a place with this nice a tub. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only prerequisite. Yeah, a nice tub. Good for you. So, so that was that was fun. Do you, do you now that you've done a you know, there's the book there's considerable amount of speaking you've done now. Do you find that as fulfilling as the photography now? Is that a fair question to ask? The photography is thrilling to me because I've, you know, I'm a good photographer. I'm a really good photographer. No doubt. So I don't. No doubt. Like speaking's a real challenge. Like to put together a talk. Um. Um. Well, how much do you ad lib and how much do you have your notes? Well, my notes are just so I can have because I have a. So did you go informalize? I have a horrible memory. Someone wrote to me today saying that she's working on a film on someone that I went to RISD with, Francesca Woodman, and who died very young. Right. And she said that she's writing this book that's based on fact, but she's kind of taking a leap of faith with it. And and was I okay with that? Okay. So what I've done since my memory, I live very much in the moment. Like I can't remember what we had for breakfast now. And I'm totally here now. Yeah, I get it. And then later, I'm going to go, what did Eric and I talk about? I don't remember <laughs> anything. Um, uh, but I realized that if, like, this next book that I'm going to do, I when it, I started working with a fiction writer, Sharon Dilworth, who's, who's head of creative writing at CMU. Okay. And I said, I remember parts of the stories, but I don't remember the whole story. And I need someone that can flesh it out yeah absolutely so my so the truth is a springboard <laughs> rather than i understand i understand so um so it's kind of like that i'm very comfortable making stuff up but i don't want to lie of course not yeah i understand well i mean there's always that gray area between like fiction and non-fiction right <laughs> I mean, right my dad used to say to me the difference between fiction and non-fiction is the person who's writing it <laughs> i said yeah i guess that I, I guess so but but it's so hard to first of all some reality is so brutal mm-hmm. that if you just deal with it in black and white like when you were sick mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. knew all of the things that were going on mm-hmm. scientifically, medically. Yes. But yes. if you would have just lived in that, you would have been miserable. Yes. So you had to kind of soften the edges a little bit. Have to. And make a little bit of it up. And certainly dream up the future. My wife, Steffi, who I love so much, it insists that we are not worrying about the future, that we are not even worrying about the present. She tells her mother, her mother mm-hmm. goes, well, I worry about you all the time. She goes, don't worry about me. Imagine awesome things happen- happening to me. Imagine that I am going to- I like that. That I am, that the car is going to get there safely, that the plan is going to land safely, that I am healthy, that I'm going to go to the doctor and everything's going to be fine. Like that's where our minds need to be. Mm-hmm. Now, is that the truth? Mm-hmm. The truth is, if you get in that car, there's this percentage of a chance that you'll arrive safely. Mm-hmm. Steffi's version of it is, all I'm thinking about is how. Yeah, but I like that. And how how it's going to be when that's I land. It's a better there. way to live. Much I mean, better I mean, way to live. My goodness, the worry will just tear you down. And it's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. If you imagine that things are going to work out, like there's you, something to that. There's definitely something I mean, to that. There is. It may be metaphysical, but it's definitely something Ask to that. Ask Sidney Poitier's mother. Ah, <laughs> Suchet. Good point. 
Real good point. Yeah, there's definitely something to that. You you gravitate toward what you you believe in, or you gravitate what you concentrate on. You know. So there's been a lot published recently in different media about the creative process. Okay. The Beatles Get Back film came out. What yeah. is Get Back about? I don't. I've never seen it. It's about the creative process. It's seven hours of the Beatles. Is it really? Yes. I didn't know that. They took the footage, which was I think 120 hours. Um, Peter Jackson. It's seven took hours. It. Yes, he he uh, took the footage from when they did the documentary on Let It Be, right? In the creating of that album, which they gave themselves two weeks to write that album and yeah. record it. Yeah, it went to three or four, but because one of them quit, and, right, right, and right. everything that else. Drama. But you're in this studio. Seven hours. You're in this studio, and the first part's pretty boring. But that's what makes the rest of it so exhilarating. Of so you so you gotta take the ride. Of course. But there are moments where Paul, George and uh Ringo are um just kind of showing up a little late and not paying attention. Paul's banging his band. guitar, banging, 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 like playing hard. <laughs> and you see the birth of the song Get Back. Like like you just see it coming out of his soul like a baby is Got being it. born. Got but he's it. just like 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 willing it out, screaming it out, like pushing it out. Got it. There's no doula. Yeah, He's by how, himself. That's how it happens. There's no obstetrician pulling it out. <laughs> he is just shoving this song out of his being. Uh-huh. At another part, uh-huh. John and Yoko are kind of talking, and, and that's where the mic is. But you hear in, in the background Paul playing piano, and he goes, here, let me, let me play what I've been working on. And he plays Let It Be. Uh-huh. Probably for the first time, time that anyone's ever heard that, it. That's magical. Yeah, I didn't know they had all that in camera. It's in film. It's insane. It's insane that all of this, all of these songs that are woven into our lives certainly mm-hmm. were born, mm-hmm. and they were born at that very moment that's in that film. So let me ask you this: Do you think that's a good thing that all that is revealed, or is does it, does it take away a little bit from the mystique? Um, personally, I don't think it's really related to okay. our experience with the song. Okay. I mean, it can take away, but I feel like it's a different, for, for me, it's a different thing. Like the song is about my experience through the years with that music. And each time I play it, I sing it with my kids in the car, whatever is going on, like there's that. The way it was born, it was like, it would be like saying, is the experience that I have with you now mm-hmm. affected if you would describe your mom giving birth to you? Would it affect the experience I have with you now? No. Right. They're not, con- they're not connected. Right. Well, not they connected. are. <laughs> well, I guess they are connected, yes. In theory, yes. Uh, certainly. The causality of it all, yes. Right. Yes. So if you would tell your birth story, Mm-hmm. Would that affect? I see what you're saying. Uh-huh. There's a, there's an amount of space in between there, and all kinds of events, and and to, to make them not irrelevant, but make them not connected. What I think is so thrilling about it <clears throat> is that we don't really think about where those songs came from. For us, they came at our record store with those four pictures on the cover that we bought and went home and dropped the needle. Right. That's where they were born for us. Right. But the fact the that- The music. Yeah, we don't really think about like, 
Where did that song come from? Did he open the door and it walked in? Some of us do, though. I mean, right, I mean some right. fans do. They, right. They, you know, people, right. You're, you're an inquisitive mind. I mean, but that's you fascinating never really to you. get a, a window. You get, at best, you get a glimpse. them describing it. Yeah. You don't actually see it. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I know why people are just starving for, especially the Beatles, because there's just this short period of time they were together. So immensely popular and so cha- music changing and changing the environment of music. But there's very little, there's only a finite amount of material and there's very little known about the interplay and the creative process and all that. And probably until now. I mean, a lot's been written about it. There are books and books and books. Yeah, yeah but I mean, to see is different, right? We want to, to see. see it. <laughs> to, see, to see him pounding on that guitar, there's right. nothing, there's, there's no nothing like that. No book can describe that to you. So then Malcolm Gladwell did an audiobook called um, Miracle and Wonder with Paul Simon. And he didn't talk uh, about his personal life. He just talked about the creative process. How did these songs come to be? I missed that one. That just came out. Okay. Chapter 12 in that, I get that. is about memory. Okay. And he says that people working at this level have a very specific memory. And Malcolm Gladwell's written about this before and talked about it. Mm-hmm. But have a very specific memory, like musical memory, that, that kind of like... It's so specific. And one of the things he does in this in this chapter is he plays one minute of a press conference with LeBron James. Mm-hmm. And, and he says, basketball players and all athletes after the game, they don't want to talk about the game, but they have to go to this interview thing. And, you know, all those interviews- it's torture are, for them. Are, and, and my favorite, my favorite is Mike Tomlin. Because Tomlin <laughs> does these brilliant- press conferences where he says nothing but if you watch all of them you can kind of when he says like nothing plus point one 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 like you can weave it together you can weave it together <laughs> last week he let his voice slip for one word and it was the word tight like he goes when everyone else is getting tight Van does this <laughs> and for those of us that watch his press conferences that was like I get it genius. I know what you're talking about that was that was genius but he but Gladwell goes with this LeBron James um, press conference and they ask him about a specific play in the middle of the game and LeBron James describes like every, he yeah. takes this apart <clears throat> that you couldn't even do if you were watching it in slow motion I've seen athletes do that yeah it's the craziest thing. And he and he applies that to the way that Paul Simon's mind works, that he remembers like these very specific things about rhythm or these very specific things about words or just this odd genius that people working at this level have. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that, but it's about this, like how, how does You Can Call Me Al exist? Well, that has a funny backstory. Anyhow, but I think, especially these days, I think, you know, how can we deal when we're soft in the middle when life is so hard? And it's not necessarily that our lives are so hard. I mean, Gary's life is hard. He doesn't have a place to to sleep in the cold. But, you know, our kids' life might be hard because they can't get in the swimming pool up the street on a hot day. Or they didn't get an Oculus for Christmas. Or they didn't get an (laughs) Oculus for Christmas. That's right. That's right. So, um... No, I get that. The the creative process has always been fascinating to me, too. And I know Gladwell's done work, uh, a lot of work on it. 
musicians, uh, there is a parallel between athletes and musicians for sure, I think, in regards to focus. It comes down to focus. And don't you focus on what you love? I mean, like, I think there has to be some kind of internal, like, love towards something to move you okay, there, so, right? So what you just said is, can't you focus, you know, don't you focus on it? Lo- love is a feeling. So how do you focus on something you, how do you focus on a feeling? Ooh. <laughs> you got me there, pal. <laughs> really? Like, but but that's exactly what you're doing. Because any of these people that we're talking about, the Beatles, LeBron James, Paul Simon, like all these super successful people, they have incredible focus and they work incredibly hard drive. to be in that place mm-hmm. that... Um, I mean, do you think that they're drawing the space with their Oculus and they're and, and they're just staying <laughs> in that space working no, hard? They are not. When you were, when you were, uh, I don't know, let's say thirty years ago, were you in New York thirty years ago? Is that a good guess? Roughly, uh, I was actually roughly in Santa Monica. Okay. When let's just say you were in the nineties and you were doing a lot of, um, let's say you were doing a lot of work coming out of the Condé Nast building in New York City. How's okay. that? Okay. Good. Good. All right. Did you feel that you were driven? I, I understand that money and survival is a, a component of everything, but were you driven by like the experience, like doing something new and, and something new was going to open up in regards to experience or was there a passion for the photography itself? Like where, where was the focus for you inside? Not to write the bills and pay the rent and all that shit, but what was the focus for you? Where did it lie? You must get paid a lot. <laughs> that's I a, don't know where I come up with this. That's thing. a good question. <laughs> it's uh, too easy to say, oh, I was passionate about my work. That's, I was that's never, too easy. But I was never that interested in, in a photography. It just didn't interest me. It was it was not what... The mechanics sure. of it, you mean? Yeah, yeah. It was, um, it was what I did, but it was not who I was. Okay. And so I craved okay. having these experiences. I craved getting in that place where anything that came in my head could become what I do. So I would go into like shooting. getting it out. Like I would try and set up a stage where anything could happen, not where something specific would happen. So hold on. So, so well, how is that any different than McCartney beating that guitar and trying to extract, get back out of his being you're obviously trying to extract what you're seeing here i'm not seeing it i'm feeling it okay what you're feeling here you're trying to well you, because seeing's photographic i'm feeling it but it ultimately comes out in a visual way yeah that's magic right <laughs> but you're trying to get that out right yeah but but i like photography has just not interested me that much like <laughs> I try, I try really hard to I mean, throw appre- papers up in the air. <laughs> to appreciate it and to love it and this is an object and this is really special and and the truth is it's just not my what I'm into. So is it a vehicle for it's what you're vehicle. into? Yeah, totally. Photography got me into this room with you. No doubt. And there's no camera here. True. Or no camera has been taken out. We don't know. <laughs> We don't know. That guy has his finger up to his lips. <laughs> it's a secret. But um, what interested me about, uh, like, I can't differentiate this talk we're having from photographing you. 
The only difference is there's this thing in my hand. But the experience that I'm having is exactly the same. Okay. And what photography does mechanically is it says there is this moment. Like when we look at this guy, I don't know if he's in the camera or not. but Yeah, he's in there. Okay. So he's sitting there. Uh, even better. I mean, he's good, but even better. There's this couple, these two mannequins that are almost kissing on Forbes Street. And I've I passed them with Asher the other I've day and his friend. I said, they never kiss. They never kiss. They got super close to kissing. They never kiss. This guy never puts his finger down. He no, can't he eat. He, does, he doesn't do anything but sit there with his finger there. True. It's, it's insane. So my pictures are creating moments that never change. That expression will never change. That way they're holding each other in the pictures and what they're doing. That smile, the cast of friends holding their hands. They are always that age. They are always that day. They are always that moment. They never, ever get out of those boxes that I put them in. And then you have video, right? That's the difference. Video is still a a set moment it, it is like if there's just motion in there right right, right. like there's video of what we're doing yeah, now yeah but it's i don't get any older <laughs> i don't <laughs> get bad. any fatter that doesn't work that way right. in life right right i mean nothing changes this conversation right. you can put the video on a loop and it never goes forward it's just this that, time see, that we're you together. just hit on something so basically if you break it all down video really is a set amount of still photos rammed together to create the illusion of motion exactly perfect so so yes i i get what photography does and photography says Dwayne michaels has this famous photograph that i've talked about for mm-hmm. years this photograph is my proof and it's a couple sitting on a bed i recently found out that the couple was his nephew and his and newlywed okay. bride and um this was the wedding picture that he took for them but what he wrote underneath really abstractly has something to do with them but wasn't about them at all it, he he wrote this photograph is my proof there was this moment we were together we were in love look see for yourself how about that that's the definition of photography so when i take pictures what i'm saying is we've had this moment that we're sharing right but i'm like already 10 miles down the road at at like a moment five years later or whatever it is you know we're having this moment here's the artifact of that experience but okay and 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 the artifact can be beautiful and the artifact i mean i'm looking for beauty every day right okay so i'm looking i go on a football field i'm not looking to see how hard they hit each other i'm looking for how beautiful these kids are like that's that's the way i see got it so i'm sharing beauty but once I've had, once I've taken the picture, like, what is there for me to do with it? Okay, but that, then that would have been the problem all throughout your career. Then did you had so is it a feeling of emptiness when you're done? Empty is a tough word to use, but it was there a, like, is it a door shutting? I on to the next thing. I would say that when I'm finished photographing, there's a feeling of loneliness. 
Okay, now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> and, and I would say that a lot of the process of taking pictures is fighting against that loneliness because the truth is, when I would do big celeb shootings, there are 100 people in the room and they're all doing their thing. I'm not part of the... I'm, I'm in charge of what's going on, but I'm not like part of the crew. Like, okay. Like, okay. It's kind of like how... This is a maybe a bad example, but how does someone who's in charge like how does the ceo feel how does the president feel how does the person in charge feel when they are leading a group they're pretending that they're part of the group but they, well, aren't. they aren't right they're right. I mean, i've always wondered about that I, I think being president would be really lonely yeah i think any head of any large organization could be lonely like bruce springsteen talks about depression is it you know why should he think about depression he has more money than god he's still creating he has all these people like hundreds of thousands of people that love him mm-hmm. that would give anything to touch him mm-hmm. to talk to him to get his autograph how could he be lonely and yet when he's up on stage he is at his greatest power fighting that feeling of loneliness while performing i think so wow that, see, that's see. I always thought from the, the the few musicians that I knew, they loved the adulation. It was the loneliness when they stepped off the stage. Right, right. But the reason they love it is because the loneliness is so. Oh, it's so deep. It's when so deep. When they step off, that yeah. that's their moment. The, the that's fuel their moment. That, uh, and okay. there's and there <clears throat> and it's so intense that adulation, that. That you really can't be lonely within that. But basically what you're saying is like, George, you should really be appreciating, you know, all the love that 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 100%. comes. And and I get that, but that's kind of not that doesn't work into the like that's a um that has a weird place in in the whole process. Okay. And it's something that I've had to teach myself. Like my teacher at RISD. Mm-hmm. She was a very introverted person. She was an amazing person. Wendy Snyder McNeil, she died five years ago. Her mantra when I was at RISD, to me every week was she, she would say, don't think, just take pictures, which was amazing. But anyhow, she had a big retrospective that her brother organized before she died up in Toronto. Okay. And she'd never had a show like this. And she was very nervous about being in front of all these people. And all these people were gonna go up to Wendy and say, this works amazing, you're amazing, it's so great. And she goes, what do I say? Interesting. What do I say? This has been my, I have done all this work alone, by myself, in my dark room at home, all those nights. She would do platinum prints that someone, sometimes would take her five days to get one print. Wow. And money she didn't have and everything else, and it was hard. And she spent a lot of time alone. She wore lots of layers of clothes even to protect herself physically. Like it was a whole thing. And she goes, what do I say? And she was dying of cancer. She died Mm. months after the show. Mm. And I said, Wendy, two words you say to everyone that comes up and gives you that love. You say, thank you, Mm -hmm. thank you. Mm -hmm. That's all you have to say. You don't have to react to it. Hopefully you feel you feel the love because it's it's Mm well-deserved, but you just have to say thank you. And learning how to just say thank you and accept that coming in is, it sounds really easy, it's not that easy. It's the same way that it's really hard to ask for what you want. True. (laughs) 
<laughs> Touche. Good point. I um, got an assignment to do a cocktail book. Oh, right on. Do tell. <laughs> and you know that I don't drink. I know. So how's that work? Um, I did it uh, in December. I got hired by a group that does... Um, they do reputation insurance for corporations. I, I'm going to pretend I'm knowledgeable, but I'm not. No. What, what is that? I don't. I can't really explain it. You can have the guy in here that does yeah, it. He's a, a character. Reputation insurance. Yes, he's a real character. Is and that a he's new phenomenon? Awesome. He is. He has put this whole thing together. Okay, but um, it's different. He he hired someone. He actually hired Sean Enright, who's one of the top cocktail. Uh, mixers mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. what's the word for the those name. guys? Mixologist. Uh, mixologist. <laughs> um, that could apply to almost anything. Right, um, right, right. right. Uh, I guess it could, yes. He's the manager at Spork across the street. Oh, right on, yeah. Super, yeah, yeah, super yeah, yeah, great yeah, yeah. guy. Hell of a restaurant, by the way. Yeah, yep. Um, and they were amazing to their employees during COVID, which I That's really- That's what you told me, yeah. I really appreciate. Yeah. But anyhow, he hired Sean to mix these drinks based on these concepts that he has for corporations. Okay. Advice. Okay. And they okay. have funny name, you know, unusual names. <laughs> and the drinks are pretty classic, but they've been played with a little bit. And he gave me the recipes and he said, photograph these drinks. So Sean would bring them across the street to, to me. I worked mostly at night. I had a guy up in Boston who's a uh, typography designer, mm -hmm. a young guy. And I was, I, I love Dada's the mm -hmm. Dada period of art, the, the typography from right, there, right. and kind of Russian modernist uh, typography. So I, I sent him that, and he would then do type treatments with the recipes and send them back to me, and I would put them, project them right from the computer onto the drink. Oh, that's pretty cool. And then I would take photographs, sometimes mine, sometimes other things, and put them behind the drinks. And then I would just, because I'm not a still life photographer because I don't drink, because I've never seen a cocktail book really in my life. I would just make it up. So there were all these layers of things going on. And and I like sometimes okay. my set wasn't stable and the drink would fall. So I'd show the drink <laughs> spilled or ice would be melting. Of course so there'd you be, did. That's George Lang. So there would be melted of ice. Course, of course. Of and, course. And the soundtrack, my favorite album in December was this new War on Drugs album. They're called The War on Drugs. Okay. Oh, that's the name of the band? That's the name okay. of the band. And the album's called I Don't Live Here Anymore. And that was playing on a loop the whole time. Okay. And I'm just having the best time. And... Um, eventually, we started doing some pictures during the day, but he wanted to have these models. He used some waitresses from Spork right, in the book. Right. And I'd have them come over, and they'd be all dressed up, <laughs> all ready. <laughs> they wouldn't be doing this podcast without hair and makeup. Um, and they would be all ready, and they'd be like ready to do this very kind of what they thought was their modely thing. Uh -huh. And I'd say, here's your drink. Throw it at the window. And then throw it again, and then throw it again, and we wind up of with this you did. with this flying <laughs> drinks and this mess. And there was one day, one night that I'm working, and this young couple came. She's, I think, a freshman in college. He's like a junior in high school, and they live in Oregon. Okay. And his sister's kind of pushing him across the street, and she's going, "Knock on his door, knock on his door." He goes, "I can't knock on his door." And they knock on my door, and we have this amazing conversation okay. he's a huge fan of mine but he lives in Oregon 
it was so flattering and so nice. That's amazing. But I like rather than like sit down and say, "Hey, do you want to, you know, what do you want to know or whatever?" I just brought them right into the process. Of course, oh, of course. She and did. <laughs> the next day, the whole time she's saying, "See, see, it was a good idea. See, don't be shy." And the next day, I found out it was her twenty first birthday, which means she can legally drink. I said, "You have to be in the picture tomorrow." So she so came cool. over, and That's we so have cool. this crazy shot of her throwing the drink against the glass. And then I went on the outside and shot through the drink running down on the glass of her standing there. So that's what's in the book. And see, that's the thing. Like, that's the intangible. It's, um, that's the experience part of this, right? I mean, you're getting so much out of that. Beyond compensation, all this stuff that goes along with your career, it's that it's that experience. And that's so genuine with you. Like, that's really what you're looking for. But, you're really looking for that. Man, can you imagine me weaving that day? I had like eight threads going. I had the kids coming from across the street. I had the stuff that we were doing. I had the guy in Boston. Yeah, it's, but you love that. Though. I love yeah, that. That's not a task. I love that. But I feel like any of us can do that any day because we have that going on in our house. We have that. You have that going on here. You're like weaving and weaving. You don't know where the conversations are going and people are throwing stuff at you and you're going like, shoot, I thought we were going, going, great, going down that road. We're going down this road. I mean, one of the beauties of what you do is you don't say, it's hey, Denver's that way. You know, We got to make a left. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and I and I think that's. I I don't know. I I think what we're doing again, is slowing the process down. We're just getting people to talk to each other, and and it, it's amazing if you give people latitude to really converse and you listen. I lo- I mean I love our conversations because they're completely. I mean they're, we're not even remotely <laughs> picking any subject and going. It's just all free form. It's all free form. So what about the people in our lives that don't talk to us? We okay. don't know, not not that we're having a fight with or not that we're mean with, but like the people on our street that just like never say hello or worse, I don't like, know I think ig- about them very often. like ignore them. What if we would kiss the old lady who just tends to her garden next door? Just go up and give her a big kiss <laughs> and keep going. <laughs> what if we take one little thing? A kiss is not that big a thing. What if we would just take the littlest thing and change the, the way, change the dynamic? That's kind of what I do. I try to take what people might expect or what people think might happen or the linear process, and I kind of avoid that. Yeah, I see it. And I do it with everything. Uh-huh. I do it in the way that I order. We're going to the fish restaurant and we're going to order um, lobster. But then I go there, I'm never going to order the lobster. <laughs> I am never ordering the steak. I'm going to order something that I never knew existed. Uh-huh. That's you. That's that's what I do. <laughs> that's what I do. I really like to not set expectations. Mm-hmm. I'm super comfortable when the ground isn't solid. Yeah. I am that's really it. comfortable outside of my Still Oculus set. safety zone. Right. Right. And I think that's does that define you as a photographer? If there, if you have to be defined, does that right. define you as a photographer? I don't Working outside think of myself of as a photographer. I think of I myself know. as a person. I knew you were going to hit. Me, hit <laughs> I knew you were going to hit back with that. I just knew it. But but I mean, if if someone was to define the work that you do, yeah, is it really 
thinking unconventionally, moving in that, that sphere unconventionally? It's going to the place that we all want to go to, except I, I get to go there every day with my work. I, I okay. insist that I go there. We, okay. we all want to be there. The woman next door that doesn't talk to us, she wants to talk to us. She wants to know what's going on. She might even want to be mean. Why are your kids playing basketball so late? Why, you know, who knows? Or why okay. won't you help me with my garbage cans? Okay. She wants she wants it, but she can't ask for it. So do you think you have a, a more of an insight for that based upon the fact that the work you did had mo- a lot of moments of loneliness? Do you have a keener insight on that? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe I'm soft in the middle and the world so hard. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. Yeah. Huh. And I'm not looking for any pity. Like I've I've designed my life like this in some unconscious way, and it's the way that I am, but it's also like sometimes I think, well, for instance, on the cocktail book. The guy gave me a contract. He says, you fill in the fee. And I'm going like... You're the worst person to ask that question. For. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is not good. That's why you need an agent, George. Because, because <laughs> how much do I want? I want I, I enough to send to pay for camp for my kids. Right. And camp's really expensive. Right. But that doesn't relate to what I should charge this mm-hmm. person for this book. Mm-hmm. And I want a new car. Will, will, will you get me, you know, will this book buy me a new car? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, mm-hmm. or maybe that's too much. He said, if it's too much, I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> it's like, like, what do you do? So relating Is money- Is that common in your field? <clears throat> no. Like kind of, I wouldn't think so, because there's a, there's a scale, right? There's usually a- There isn't a scale. Like that's the other problem. Okay. And, um, but it's not common to have to have clients just say, "I don't know what to negotiate with you." Just at a price, right? I mean, the thing where it gets hard is if people say, "Well, how long will that take you?" Well, it's like I've worked for doing this for forty-five years, and I'm bringing all that experience. Started to, when he was three to the <laughs> to the one hour that we're going to spend together. What's that worth? Good response. <laughs> Good response. Yeah. What, how do you how do you respond? I mean, uh, if someone says to you, "Just fill in a number," like for anything, for anything, I don't know. You go I mean, to buy a car. The guy says, "Do you want this car?" You, and yes, I want this black Grand Cherokee. I love this car. I really want this car. How much does it cost? Tell me how much you want to pay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, they say that though, and they accept. They accept yeah, they don't mean they, it. <laughs> I want to pay a yeah. hundred dollars. <laughs> How close are we? If you had not gone into the field of photography and made it your career, what what could you envision yourself doing? What would you have done? What do you think you would have done? Um, I have no clue. I mean, I look at my kids now and it's like, what are they gonna be? They can be anything. Uh And these skills that they have and these sensitivities that they have, and they both have very different skills and sensitivities, 
could be used if they were a car salesman or if they were a sportscaster or if they were a um, uh, anything anything how you know it, these skills would manifest themselves in different ways yeah yeah I mean like do, let me ask you this what what did your folks want you to be? <laughs> Not a photographer. <laughs> they were fine with me being a photographer as long as I went to liberal arts school and learned other things. Okay. So I okay. had to go to a school that was not that had photography but was not an art school or photography school before I could go to an art school. So I went to Ithaca College okay. and, and I registered at the wrong time. I missed the, reg the regular registration and I went up and they put me in these advanced photography courses so I could finish the whole program in a year and a half. Okay. By the way, one oh, of the- A year and a half? Yeah, so one of the, yeah, there was no more photography to take. Wow. So, um, but one of the courses I took was with Rod Serling. Oh, get out. He lived in Ithaca. He was a weird guy. <laughs> he was the most paranoid, strangest guy I ever met. You say you took a class with him. Did he teach the class? He taught it. He taught the class. He would show his films, and then we would talk about them. Yeah, there's something. Something was cooking up there for sure. He was. He was seeing the apocalypse. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. Dystopian. This is this is the thing that I want to know, Eric. How? can we survive if we are not kind to each other? You got me. How can we survive if we can't accept that being patriotic is not always winning? Mm -hmm. Like, mm, that's a good one. you can be really patriotic. Biden said that last week, that mm -hmm. you can be very patriotic if you lose. That is not being unpatriotic right. if you oh, lose. Yeah. Well, there, yeah, 100%. And, 100%. and I want to know how we can embrace, how I can tell my son when he loses that he's still patriotic. When he's playing baseball, that he's still a good person and he still gave it all he had when he lost. Well, how does that tie into patriotism? It shouldn't be tied into patriotism. It shouldn't. But it also, losing should not be tied into you're a good or a bad person. No, not at all. In fact... I want him to be a good loser, obviously, but I want him to be a good winner, too. Certainly. That's character. And that is the part of all of this that I think gets lost and is really difficult right now. Because mm -hmm. my feeling about the four years before Biden mm -hmm. was that people were told it is okay to be rude. That mm -hmm. people are bad because they don't believe what you believe. People are bad because they aren't on the winning side. People are bad because, and when people are bad, you talk shit. Mm -hmm. And you tell mm -hmm. them how horrible they are. Well, the, the, country, the country was shown a bad way to interact with each other. Right. We were shown as an example, which we look to the top, right, for your example, right. we should. Right. It's the way the system is set up. Right. We did not have a good example of kindness at the top. As a matter of fact, you can make the argument it was devoid. Right. And you still have a lot of caustic feelings about that. Um, and the only thing I think, George, is going to be time. Time's the only healer, man, that I can see. And the question is, we got to make sure we don't kill each other in the meantime. That's that's the thing. But but I can't wait 
how much longer do I have? Yeah, well, I don't have much longer <laughs> either, man, trust me. And even my kids, like... But why does th- politics have to be such a important part of our lives? I mean, I mean I, I'm saying that with all honesty. Like, yeah. I, I'm not saying that our love of our country and, and, and all that isn't important. I'm saying, well, why is the day in, day out... Um, affiliation of how I feel and why is that so important? So I had a job in the Midwest in the fall mm-hmm. and I drove there. Okay. And it was in a factory, taking pictures in a factory. Okay. And I'm driving there and on the radio they're basically saying, you George Lang, you are a piece of shit. Like the way you believe, the way your, the, your party affiliation, mm-hmm. the way you vote, mm-hmm. they don't know me. But they're just telling me on the radio, I'm driving like, what did I do wrong? Yeah. Like, I'm trying to make the best decisions I can. I'm a good dad. Yeah. I pay my taxes. I am. I try and be a good yeah. member of the community. Yeah. I'm friends with Eric McKenna, yeah. for God's sakes. Like, why are you telling me I'm such a bad person? I'm listening to this, and it's like, I am this generic, horrible, evil, yeah. dangerous person. Yeah, we're labeling people. And so I go to this factory. And in this factory, it's very hot. And they're assembling all these refrigerators. Okay. And all the people are wearing masks, and it's 10 times more unpleasant wearing a mask in that kind of heat. No question. And I asked the guy running the factory, I said, like, why is everyone wearing a mask? It's so unbearable. I understand for COVID, but can't you do something? He said, if 30% of the people in this factory would get would get vaccinated, they wouldn't have to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. But no one will get vaccinated, so they all have to be miserable. Interesting. And furthermore, interesting, which makes it difficult, and this is the reality of the world now, is if the factory across the street starts offering 25 cents more per hour, they're over there. I know. There's like no loyalty. There's no sense of community. There's just like... Well, the job market's insane now. Yeah, I hate my job. I'll just like, it's... Where it's, are all these people that, like, they're talking about all the people left the workforce. Like, where are these people? <laughs> like, I mean, because you hear these crazy numbers that are thrown right. around. Like, you know, well, you know, I still see everybody riding around and everybody seems to be okay and buying groceries. Like, where are these people and what are they doing with their time? Right. They must be on that internet. <laughs> well, they must live in Boulder because most of people in Boulder didn't work. They all had all this money they made and they were all, like, they had tons of money. Yeah, and and they would work. Did we do something wrong? We must have done something the wrong way. Totally. <laughs> I totally. I don't understand it. But, um... Was your answer, but, your answer but, your question, humility. But, right. But a couple things happened during COVID that are interesting. First of all, you have all these people that went from high school to college or to work straight, but straight from college to work and never paused. They never had a pause. They had a vacation once a year or twice a year, but they never paused. That be my daughter. She graduated in 20 through high school, and then she's in college and... You know, it's like, that's her. Right. But <laughs> but even when people lost their jobs, they panicked, where's my next job? They didn't say, they didn't take two weeks and go, in my wildest dreams, Got what it. could I do? Forget about money. Forget Good about point. logistics. Good point. In my wildest dreams, what could I do? Good point. And then once you go through that period, you could say, well, I really can't be president or I can't be a CEO, but right. I could maybe do this. Got it. And you set, you know, but you dream big. 
And during COVID, I think people actually had a chance to pause and dream and think a little bit about, uh, oh. That could be positive. Totally positive. But then when you had to go back and work in an office. They don't want to do it. Like, and, and you have to commute from New Jersey and halfway uh, through the commute, you're sitting like this for an hour in some swamp not knowing when the train's going to get going and knowing that when the train does get to to Penn Station that yeah. you're going to be in this yeah, yeah, yeah. crush. I mean, the whole thing's insane, but you did it because you were on this loop. Got it. But the loop stopped. The Ferris wheel stopped. And you uh. were at the top for a long time. And you got to look out. And you got to catch your breath. Mm-hmm. And you got to be with your kids mm-hmm. and your wife. And you got to make meals that you never had time to make and you got to work in your garden so so what i hear you saying is that as horrible as the pandemic was there was moments in your family life that were fantastic brilliant and you can take out of this miserable pandemic you can take gems out of it absolutely yeah absolutely i agree and i think many people did that so okay when you go back to work like America's like, built shit. <laughs> America's built on people doing crappy jobs. No question. And no question. the people that are doing those crappy jobs got a pause too. And they got to say, What am I doing? Wow. I'm worth more than this. I'm wow. better than this. I want more than this. My dreams. I got to dream and my dreams are still playing in my head mm-hmm. when I'm back to this hot factory with my mask on. I need something else. And so how are those people gonna support themselves? We go to the grocery stores now and there are shelves that are empty and we're going, why isn't there more pork on the shelves? Mm -hmm. Well, the people in the pork processing plants are doing miserable work. We don't want immigrants to do it because they aren't welcome in the country. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to do it because those are miserable jobs. And it's like, that's why the shelves are empty. It seems to me. Sounds logical to me too. And that's okay. It's okay that every shelf is not Oh, absolutely. Packed. Absolutely. And, absolutely. And it's okay if you order something that it doesn't come the next day. Oh, it's we're okay spoiled. We're spoiled. if it comes in a week or two Amazon. weeks. <laughs> it's a crazy world. I mean, the immediacy of it all is crazy. So Nancy Griffith died. She was a singer-songwriter mm-hmm. from Nashville. And I had photographed her in the 90s, and I didn't like the shooting, but I liked her. Okay. Not as a person, I liked her music. Okay. But the day I spent with her was not that much fun. And the pictures were not that good. But anyhow, I had these pictures. And, and there was such an outpouring in her little Nancy Griffith Facebook group. Okay. That I went on and I posted these pictures. And people were writing me, please can I get a print of this picture? Please can I get a print? And I thought, ugh. Here we go. (laughs) I don't want to sell them at full thing because I don't want to take advantage of her dying. And, you know, I want to be fair. And I'm not, you know, I make my prints, but I don't make that many prints. And I'm not, prints are hard for me to make. I know they are. And so, anyhow, a bunch of people sent me money to send them prints. Right. And then the next day they go, where are my prints? And it's like, I can't do this in a day. I've never even scanned the, you know, I've scanned these pictures, but they need to be retouched. I have to do test prints. I got to right. work through this. Right, right, right. The expectations and, and that they want it. I have to pack them up and then I have to send them. And it was just a nightmare of people expecting things like, what do you mean I have to wait a week? I know. 
I know. I gotta explain it to my kids. Like, you know, I, I, I life was simpler pre ninety five. Pre ninety five is my phrase, man. When the internet started to get proliferated before the internet, yeah. We did this. We talked to yeah. each other. I mean, it was. But you can't explain that to a generation that doesn't remember it. Wasn't there? Right. I mean, it's different. I mean, so, I just. So I went to see this movie, Licorice Pizza. Okay. Which is good. I don't think it's for everyone, but it was. It was interesting. But it takes place in the Valley in the seventies. Okay. In L.A. And they filmed a lot of movies in the Valley in the seventies, didn't they? Right. This, 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 right. But this was recently done. This is not. That. I, understand. I um, understand. And I'm watching this movie, and it's bringing back my own experience in the Valley in the seventies, which is this: when I went to RISD the first year, there's a six week period that they call winter session, January half of February, and you can do anything you want. Okay. And I wrote to this photographer who I wanted to work with. And he had started out working in an emergency room in South Africa. Okay. Gone to New York, became a an art director for United Artists. Wow. And then got this assignment to photograph this group called The Band. And he goes up to Woodstock. Wow. And he takes his light, which is a big silver umbrella, and he sets it up and sets up the band on the porch and takes this picture. But because it's just one of his first assignments, the umbrellas reflected in the picture, which is a no-no. You never want to see the reflection of the light in the picture. Okay. It becomes an incredibly famous picture. He becomes a really amazing photographer, moves to LA, he moves into this little white shack that is right underneath the Chateau Marmont. Okay. It used to be a massage parlor, now it's the, then it became the Bar Marmont. But anyhow, it's this little thing, and I write to him, his name is Norman Seif, and I write to him and I say, I wanna come work with you during my winter session, but I don't hear back, I don't hear back. And there was a day that either, I was in Pittsburgh, either I had to fly to LA or fly back to RISD and take a course during that period. And I found someone who had an aunt who was single with three kids who lived in Hollywood, not very, not very, like very, not that much money, but she said I could live at her house for three days. And I fly there, I go to her house, I go to this guy's studio the next day, but I was early. I was there at nine o'clock. They don't get going until much later. <laughs> he comes out all sleepy, he goes, who are you? I go, I'm George Lang, I sent you this letter, I didn't hear back from you, but I really wanna work for you and I have six weeks, I'll do whatever you want. He goes, oh my gosh, <laughs> I meant to write back and say, don't come, I can't use you, but if you're here, Whatever. <laughs> Come in. So I don't have a car to get back and forth anywhere. And he gives me this gigantic convertible that I'm driving around in. And the woman and I become friends and she lets me stay there the whole time. But I'm seeing all this stuff and I don't know what it is. What is Sunset Strip? What is this walk of fame? What is this powder on the tables everywhere? What is... um. What is sushi? Like they're eating sushi. What is this stuff? I like I've never seen it. Like this is all weird and new and I'm watching this film Licorice Pizza and it's all the Norman Steve stuff coming back. 
and it's all crazy. There, there were a couple moments that happened in there. that studio that were amazing. One is I got to meet Joni Mitchell. Yeah. And Lily Tomlin <laughs> came up to me and I was talking to her and, sh- and everyone's getting high. And she said, you know, smoking dope makes you much more creative than you really are. <laughs> which, always, which, which has always been like, huh, huh. Maybe I can be much more creative than I really am. But anyhow, I realized I went out there and I didn't know anything. Okay. I didn't know anything. And then I realized, like people say, oh, when you have a kid, they don't give you a user's manual. And I realized, not, no, yes, that's true, and you have to figure it out. But when I got married, I didn't get a user's manual either. And Good when point. I started photographing, there's no user's manual. When I came in your door, there's mm-hmm. no user's manual on how to mm-hmm. be a guest on Eric McKenna's show. <laughs> like, we don't know anything. We go into every place, and yes, we know how to order a cup of coffee. But we don't really know who we're dealing with back there true like I, I walked in the coffee shop down here no one's wearing a mask and I go in uh-huh. Woolies the other day mm-hmm. and it's so crowded and it's like the people behind the counter are wearing a mask the that's not. the fish market Woolies yeah, yeah. in Pittsburgh yeah. um, but then there's this gigantic line of people not wearing a mask and the poor people checking you out are trying to protect themselves they don't care if you're protecting yourself but mm-hmm. they want to be protected mm-hmm and I just like put my fish down and walked out. Like I can't. I yeah, can't I'm not do ready this. for big crowds either. Right. I'm not, even but, sporting events. But I'm not the ready point yet. is, like, we're like we we have these things. If you buy a ticket and take it to Heinz Field, you get in. Mm-hmm. But so we know that works, and the number on there gets us to this seat. But we really don't know what the experience is going to be or like. Who we're going to sit next to, or who we're going to sit next to, especially especially <laughs> there, game. especially yeah. there. But yeah. it's like. I think we go out in the world thinking that we know what's going to happen, thinking that we know how to how to proceed. And the truth is that we have no clue that we hope, our best hope is that the people that we're going to be around are going to be kind. And the people mm-hmm. that we're around are going to support us. Yeah. And the people walking down the street aren't going to bump on into us and the people stopping at the stoplight are not going to run the stoplight and the guy walking his dog is going to put the dog on a leash so it doesn't run out in front of my car like we're making all these assumptions and all these things civility totally but that's the only thing we have is our trust is trust in the good nature of others yes yes trust I mean trust is actually at the bottom of it all Mm mm-hmm in our relationships, they're mm-hmm. all based on trust. Mm-hmm. If my son lies to me, it messes everything up. Of course. Because I need to trust him and he needs me to trust him. 100%. And my wife, if if we can't trust each other, then we have nothing. Right, right. So I feel like all of this that we're dealing with comes down to really simple stuff. Super simple stuff. Yeah, I, I kindness for me, it's kindness and humility. It's we got it right up there. I mean, I mean, find common ground. It's all to me. It's humility. I just feel like if we try to understand that my wants and my knowledge is not the most important thing going on right now, that something else may be more important. It may be better, and be open minded to that. That's how I try to maneuver my life. I'm not perfect, but that's how I try to maneuver my but, life. But I think that you're talking about how you treat other people. And I think mm-hmm. what I'm getting at with the 
story about not knowing anything is how you treat yourself. Oh, okay. And that okay. okay. And that if you go out and and you realize that all the good things that are going to happen are probably out of your control uh, are probably not things okay. that you could ever have dreamt up okay and are sitting in the same place or very close to the place where you thought you were going that's all the good stuff and my work has been based on going out in the world with a sense of wonder which is different than humility it is it is and i can relate to that but you have to take time to be observant of that right but that's the best part it is the best part. i mean the best part here is not listening to my own voice in these headphones <laughs> although you sound great George. oh thank you <laughs> i know that you're going to boost the bass it'll sound a lot better nah, but um but the best part is listening to you and whatever i'm saying getting me to some place that I could never get to on my own because we are having a conversation hmm. <laughs> and hearing things in a different way. Agreed. And this is, and the nuances of this is lost a lot today by the way we're being forced to communicate with each other through the pandemic and through the d digital world and everything else. Wouldn't so, you agree? So when I'm going out as a team builder, uh -huh. that's all that I'm doing. I'm right. doing what I've always done, but there's such a need for that and there is such a desire for that I and I'm just it. tapping into that I believe it I, I think humans are starving for this and I, I, I we're, we're losing a little of the connectivity that we had digital was digital and the pandemic but certainly digital has digital the the, um, the web the connectivity that comes with that I think the virtual nature of life I mean you're putting an oculus on it just right. changed I mean it's, it's, it's great but it's not reality I think that that's taking a little of the humanity away. Yes, but in VR, I have to push back a little bit. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> because I went through a tour of, of the space that Anne Frank was hidden in. Uh -huh. And I'm going up the steps and they're creaking. I'm going through the door and I'm opening her journal. That's cool. And she's talking to me. That's cool. And here are these binoculars and she can use the binoculars late at night. Turn off all the lights and look out the window, but she can't during the day and all these things that are hyper real. Got it. That are beautiful. Yeah, yeah, There's, there could be a case made for that for sure. But my son did not tell the truth the other day. And Steffi took his screens away for a week. Mm -hmm. And it was a joy and a half. He was present in a way that he hasn't been. In a he while. was available in a way that he hasn't been. He was open to things did he realize this totally okay totally okay now he still wanted to scream back eventually <laughs> but it's been a different experience like he had that pause too okay one of the things that i have a hard time with is a lot of the experience at school now is on screens and i feel like these kids only saw their teachers on screens, only saw each other on screens. We let them use the screens more during the pandemic because they had no social life. Right. They weren't allowed to play with their friends. Right. So we allowed them to FaceTime and play video games together and all that stuff. A lot more. Now that they're getting back to schools, they have to put the screens away. The teachers have to teach live. They have to facilitate experiences that are like this. Mm -hmm. They can't, yesterday, 
in my kid's school, they watched a Netflix film. It's like, that's ridiculous. Why? In fifth grade. Yeah. Why? Yeah, it's complex. Yeah, they, yeah, what's going on behind the scenes there is very complex. Right. But, yeah, the, the, the going back to the whole issue in regards to kids, my biggest hope is, and adults, shame on us if we can't maneuver past all this and figure it out, but for children, what are going to be the lasting effects of this? You know, these last two years, you know, it'll be two years March. And these are huge developmental years. I mean, mm-hmm. my kid from nine to 11, my no, other no doubt, no son, doubt. 12 to 14. No doubt. I think you're going to be okay, though. Hopefully. With the way they're being raised. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. But I'll tell you, there, there are certain things. Like, I, I always had a hard time asking a girl out. I think that's much harder now. Yeah. Probably. I'll tell you something funny. Probably. Is Asher did get COVID. Asher and Steffi, my wife, got COVID. Mm-hmm. And Jackson and I have not yet. Although Jackson was texting me that his friends have gotten it. That he hasn't been with recently. But anyhow... Mm-hmm. Um, when when Asher had COVID in the fall in October, they were it was the exact time that they were doing the sex talk at school. Oh, okay. For fifth graders, okay. And he was beside himself. He said, "Dad, they only do this once. You only get the sex talk once. I've been waiting for this for like." as he would say a year. I've been waiting for the sex talk for a year, and they're doing the sex talk, and I'm gonna miss it. And then what happens? How do I learn that stuff? <laughs> so you know what I told him? I said, call Eric. <laughs> <laughs> he will tell Great. you anything you need to know on the air. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. It's not, we're not going to do that. No. <laughs> so if you would just schedule for one of these podcasts, you know, it's a bunch. I could probably te- te- by the end of the thing, he'd be teaching me. No, he would not be. <laughs> a bunch, a bunch of, got, you know, people come here and they all talk to you. But you should just break it up and do one that's just called the sex talk. <laughs> I thought about putting the sex therapist on here. There you go. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm, but, I'm, I'd be afraid but, of being self-examined on the right, show. Right, <laughs> right. But don't, but don't put a sex therapist on and don't talk about sex. What do you mean? Talk, just, like, you want to talk about photography with oh. me? Talk about sex with the sex therapist. But do one for kids. That's fascinating. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. I mean, when you think about there are all these podcasts and all these things, but the things that we really need mm-hmm. we ignore. are hard to find. Like there are gigantic yeah. gaps in my kids' education that I have to identify and plug in. I bet. I bet. They know who Muhammad Ali was, but they don't know who Cassius Clay was. I believe that. There's a whole backstory to Muhammad Ali at their age that is beautiful. Okay. That is beautiful. And so I found a book about the backstory of Muhammad Ali that is beautiful. Muhammad Ali is beautiful too, but there is this other story of him at their age. Got it. That gets lost with the name change. You're filling it in. I'm trying to. So that's funny you said that. I just did a podcast um, for, we called the Four Friends series, group of guys in here, gals in here. We were talking about the sensitivity in regards to slavery and why some Americans seem to get it White Americans, some of us seem to kind of get it and understand, understand the gravity of it to some degree, and some don't. 
not intentionally to be mean. Some just don't get it. And I learned that I was a child in the 70s where at the time I was learning my civics, there also was Arthur Haley's roots. I take for granted that my understanding of the Civil War as it was instructed to me and the gravity of it and, and just like the Holocaust was explained to us through I got it uh, the gravity of it of, about how how horrific it was whereas others in the room were taught the Civil War as if there was a winner and a loser and the North won the South lost and then they didn't have the slavery component attached to the war in their civic studies Literally, it's just a different thing. So I was making the assumption, oh, well, we all grew up with Alex Haley. No, my demographic grew up with Alex Haley's roots. Right. I got it. Right. Right. I had parents and grandparents who made sure that I t understood World War II and the Holocaust and what happened, the gravity of it, right. as the best they could. Right. But not everybody got that in their public school experience. doesn't make them bad people, but they just don't have the same awareness so I've gone through my whole life just assuming that, yeah, of course, that, that's a horrific thing. I don't think that schools have done that, George. I think there's gaps. There's a lot of stuff missing. Um, my kids are now applying to schools that are not where they're going now, and they're having to do all this testing. And I realized that my 11-year-old had no clue who Frederick Douglass wow. was. He had heard the name but didn't know what he had done, and then we brought up slavery. Mm-hmm. And he really didn't know what slavery was either. He knew kind of abstractly, but he really didn't know what you were mm -hmm. what you were talking about. And um, and I was horrified. Stephanie and I were horrified. So you get it. You, you got but it. But he's in fifth grade, and people Difference. say they don't really study this yet, and everything yeah. else. And yet, I know that I have tried to keep evil from them and stories of evil away as yeah. long as possible. At but that age. But it's now time that they yeah. understand mm -hmm. this um, because there's no way to understand the history of this country without understanding mm -mm. slavery. Um, and and I just made the note, well, I think there's no way of understanding the history of the world, inner, inner uh, geopolitical things, if you don't understand what happened with Hitler and the Holocaust and World War II. If that is, not, if that is glossed over. You, so my other son, the, Jackson, been, I realized didn't really know what the Holocaust was. Okay. So now. Um, we are reading this book about the Holocaust that's mm. a rough sledding, mm -hmm. and we read about, we, we marched right down to the East Liberty Library and read about Frederick Douglass, like, right on. like the next day. Right and, um, and that's becoming part of our thing. Now, it's possible that at some point that will be taught to them, but it hasn't yet. And now that they're switching schools, it's possible different schools, different curriculums. Right. right. But, um, that, and that that led into the discussion there that also opened my eyes that I didn't know that a lot of corporations were underwriting school textbooks. I didn't know any of that was going on. I just thought school text were, textbooks were done by Macmillan Court Company. I thought there was a couple companies. Cause that's what it was when we were kids. Like the, but I guess now it's all corporately underwritten. Well, are there textbooks at all? I think there still is. A, I don't I know. I mean, there is a curriculum, but I don't know that it's textbook driven anymore. Yeah, it's just different, and, and I just my uh, my ex wife. We raised our our kids, uh, fantastic soul. She did that, a lot of the heavy lifting with the kids, and I did some schoolwork, but she did the heavy lifting. So I, I think all this just went right over my head. Like I didn't see 
the changes. Right. You and, know? My, and it's the same in my family. Like my wife does the math for sure. Yeah. And and other things. But when you identify these, and this happened in COVID that because you were closer to what they were learning and not learning and you were there to ask the questions. Yeah. But when you get involved in your kids at that level, mm-hmm. it is that's where really good stuff happens. No question. Yeah, I agreed. Agreed. I just didn't realize I guess I didn't realize what they weren't being taught. Like, what did my kids really miss? I haven't had this hard conversations. Now they're 21 well, and 19. Well, I mean, it's, it, what, 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 what? it's much harder to have a conversation about and say, like, what if I said to you, hey, Eric, what don't you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a hell of a lot. <laughs> Obviously. I mean, that's what you do in this podcast every week is yeah. you try and figure out what you don't know. Yeah, 100%. Or... or Rearrange the things you do know in ways that identify things that you never thought of. What's so good? Yeah, that's exactly right. Right. So, yeah. so we're doing that all the time, but we have this precious little time as parents. Mm-hmm. Um, that, like, we have these drives to baseball practice. We have these these ten minute ride. I have a ten minute ride to Jackson School every morning for ten minutes. I have them. Absolutely. I it's have important ten minutes. It's a really important 10 minutes and I use it. I have one little story or one little thing that we talk about on that 10 minutes. Right. And he remembers it. Of course. Because if we were doing this like two hour thing, like you and I are doing or whatever, (laughs) he wouldn't remember anything. But if we did 10 minutes, he remembers it. How many of the people out there are still with us? <laughs> mm, I, I'm I'm amazed anybody pays attention to this show, but they do. Good. Yeah, and, it, Good. and I was just sharing yesterday that the downloads, the audio downloads, are the fascinating part. I thought the visual show would get legs here in Pittsburgh, George. Mm-hmm. I did. People that, um, with your stature, that come on this show bring different diverse audiences. And it's the downloads. We started with zero downloads, and now we're into the thousands, and it's it's amazing. So people are intentionally coming and downloading the shows, and partaking listening working out or whatever they're doing they're yeah. effing, so that is extremely fascinating to me awesome a little rewarding because a can, little rewarding well, there's, there's no money component here we're just having fun and I, I i'm just i have a freaking curious brain that won't stop eric so eric <laughs> i mean you are not getting paid for doing this but the things that you figure out like mm-hmm. like you don't know where the money's going to come from you don't know how all this is going to work out. I don't know what I'm going to say to someone that I figured out here in the middle of a shooting that's going to change the whole yeah. course. Yeah, and of I think in doing. some weird way we connect on that level. I think that we very much are experience-based people. Yeah, but yeah. everyone is, but they might not be aware of we, it. Yeah, we're, we we and we use it. I think we know how to use that part of our life. So, <laughs> so I was doing this corporate job in October in Scottsdale at the Four Seasons, and the <laughs> yeah, Beach Boys and the Beach Boys were setting up behind me. It was all very, very, very fancy, and I had three sets. I had this one set with a circle that people would get in and make the circle their space, and I had one set with these floating light bulbs, and they would make it their space and then I had this white space nothingness okay. white yeah. beautiful light yeah. beautiful light and a small desk and they would sit on that side of the desk and I would sit on my side of the desk and I would have about three minutes with each person 
Okay. And I would break it down fast. <laughs> we had to break down all the walls fast. I bet. I and bet. the story that I started telling was, you've had this whole life up until this moment, and you're going to have this whole life after this moment. Right. But in this moment, we're going to have this experience. Uh-huh. And immediately they were there. Like they trusted me. They were available because they could understand. You gave me the same talk when I went down your street. We know each other. You gave me the same exact talk that you said to me. Really? Yeah. He said, forget what came before you came in and forget what you got to do wow. later. You are right here. Okay. You got to be right here, right? Because I have to do this. You can be That's right so here, right now. Because when I photographed you, it was right after Arizona. Okay. And that's it was fresh. Where, that's where I figured that out. But it's fresh. But like I'm in the middle of photographing strangers and I have this revelation. Okay. Because I have no agenda, because I am not following a script or trying to go Love to it. a place that I pre visualized or anything else. Love it. It's because I'm in that moment and allowing whatever comes in my head to come out my mouth. Risky. <laughs> Unfiltered. Unfiltered. Yeah. And yeah. it could come out really bad, and it has. And it can come out like poetry, really and that has too. And I can't control that. That's so real, though. I love that. So that's that's the process. Did you have fun? I had fun. I got to show you the shirt I'm wearing, though. Okay. So only the people looking at the podcast okay. can see this. All right, let's see. I have to do this without embarrassing myself. <laughs> This is what Steffi gave me. Oh, right on. So Steffi went and bought a flannel shirt. Right And on. then she rolled it in white paint. Look at that. And she wrote a little love note on my pocket. <laughs> Check that out. I actually like it. She did a hell of a job. But so, and I'll, I'll end with this. But there was a, um, there was a summer and we were living in New Jersey. Okay. And I had a pair of pants, and the pen, a pen leaked in the pocket. This is back before 95. Not really. It was a little after. Okay. And it was a dot, dot, dot going down my leg. Okay. And they were my favorite pants. <sighs> and I put them back on the hanger and left them there. And Steffi passes my closet. She goes, a pen leaked in your pants. You should throw those out. I go, no way. Those are my favorite pants. And the next day, I look in my closet and there is an engraving of a bird with a big beak that's open that she has silk screened up the leg of my pants <laughs> and the dots are going into the bird's mouth. There you go. The next day, there's a pair of pants and she has silk screened shadows of us walking on cobblestones in Soho in New York up wow. the front. She has changed all this stuff in the back and when you open it up, there's a story. I look at my shirts, all the buttons have been changed. There's stuff on the back that she's done on the back. I roll up my sleeve, there's a picture facing me on the sleeve. <laughs> and the whole summer, all my clothes changed. She just messed with them. And it was so brilliant. And each one was a story. Each piece of clothing became a story. Right. And I reach in my pocket, there was a photograph on like a string like it was but but that she had silk screened on fabric right on there was like all this stuff like loose ends and it was it was fantastic i photographed that summer those people from what not to wear uh -huh. i think her name was stacy okay she she wanted what I was wearing. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. <laughs> <laughs>
Anyhow, this was super fun. I can't thank you enough. And please, we're going to do it again. Good. Absolutely. Good. When you get, like, when you host Saturday Night Live, <laughs> the fifth time you host, you get a jacket or something. So this was my third time at the Eric McKenna Project. So We're working on that. Sometime in the future, I expect a really nice blazer. You got it, my friend. Okay. You got to move a color. I'll, I'll have Steffi paint it up first before, before I... I'll, I'll, I'll buy it, get it to her, and then I'll present it to you there. The, the last... We had to go to an event, and I was obsessed with this suicide song called, this, the group Suicide, yeah. had a song called Dream Baby Dream. Okay. And Springsteen did this beautiful, beautiful version of this song. Okay. And, 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 and it has almost no words. It's just Dream Baby Dream. You gotta, I forget the, the one or two lines. But anyhow, Steffi did a jacket we got an H&M. It was like nothing. But she painted all over this jacket, Dream Baby Dream. And I and I wore that. It was... You should wear that next time. Next you time. still have it? Yes. <laughs> and it still fits. <laughs> I see the battle's won, my friend. Thank you, George. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it, buddy. Take care. All right, friends.